It's Tuesday, January 24th. It was the best night of the week until a man walked in with a gun. We start here. Survivors of a Lunar New Year's shooting describe racing off a dance floor to save each other's lives. When I hear the boom, boom, boom. Powerful and disturbing new interviews here will take you to the scene. If there's such a thing as COVID season, they're hoping it only comes once a year. What's the best approach that's going to maximize benefit for the most amount of people? The FDA's new strategy for vaccinations. And while the U.S. was sanctioning Russians, was a former FBI agent helping them. He's accused of conspiring not only to to violate U.S. sanctions, but also money laundering. The shocking charges against a high-ranking official. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. The Star Ballroom Dance Studio has been a local institution in Monterey Park, California, for 30 years. It's home to legit ballroom dancing competitions. It hosts classes throughout the week, foxtrot, rumba, waltz. Like a lot of ballroom dance spots, its students are often middle-aged couples and older folks looking to have a good time. Uniquely, this place serves a largely Chinese-American clientele. And when you watch videos of past events here, like this line dancing class, it's like the definition of good, clean fun. When police arrived at that ballroom on Saturday night after reports of a shooting, they described discovering a bloodbath. Inside, they came across a scene that none of them had been prepared for. Initially, they found 10 people shot to death. Well, yesterday, authorities announced that intensive care was not enough for one of the other victims. The death toll now stands at 11, along with many, many others now saying they were almost among them. Let's start the day with ABC's Juju Chang. She's the co-anchor of Nightline. She spent much of the last couple of years studying the outbreak of violence against Asian communities. And so when this news broke, she dropped everything and flew to Los Angeles. She's there right now. Juju, I mean, we've talked about the shooter at this point a lot. What do we know about the victims here, the people who were on hand during this tragedy? I think the common links are that this is a group of people who dance together every week. And again, they tend to be a slightly older group. They tend to be slightly more female because what I've come to discover is they they pay their dance instructors to dance with them. Often their husbands stay at home. And there are also single women who go there and do line dancing. And so what we see is a composite of immigrants from China who've worked in the United States, you know, working class jobs, caregivers, you know, uh, public administrators. And and this, this is what bonded them, this love of music, this love of dressing up with fancy dresses and putting on um, elegant clothes in order to do the foxtrot and the waltz and the jive. And this was their safe haven. She feels very happy when she dances. The victims were in their 50s and 60s and some in their 70s. But we ended up talking to the niece of one of the victims, Mei Mei Nan. She has, you know, a lot of really elegant um, outfits, gowns that she would flaunt (laughs) every Saturday and dance with them. Her niece is Fonda Kwan. She described her aunt as sassy and who loved to dress up and be fancy. And that, you know, she never married, she never had kids. So in many ways, Fonda was her daughter. And she said the last thing that Mei Mei did before she went to the dance studio was play with Fonda's child, a toddler. So in many ways, this was, you know, sort of the final moments, the last time she saw her aunt. Um, She actually decided to leave early that night um, so she could quickly grab a bite and then come home for just, you know, prepping for Lunar New Year, the 
the next day. It's an event we were looking all looking forward to as a family. This is a community, Monterey Park, that, like Asians across the country, was in full tilt celebration. We, you know, eat special dumplings and noodles. We dress up in costumes and we pray to our ancestors. We spent the past three weeks um, grieving for my grandmother, her mother. Um, and we were really looking forward to essentially start the new year fresh. In that moment, I asked Fonda, what prayer would you have for your Aunt Mei Mei now that she's joined your ancestors? Keep on dancing. <laughs> Just keep on dancing. And then for the victims who were shot and killed, there are also other victims here and, and survivors of this tragedy. I mean, what are they telling you about their experience that night? It's so good of you to ask. You know, it's been hard to talk to some of these victims. They are in their 50s and 60s. English is not their first language. And so they are culturally old school. They don't want to talk to the media. They certainly don't want to air their pain and share it. But they are extraordinarily hardworking immigrants. The reason I love about the dancing because it looks like exercise. Instead, I don't need to go to the uh, gym. Yeah, so it's yeah. exercise. It's good exercise. Yeah, it's good exercise. I spoke with Shally, who told me about her struggles here. She came from Cambodia in the mid-'80s, although ethnically she's Chinese. She worked as a caregiver to the elderly. She worked as a car dealer in a casino. And most recently, she's been working in a donut store. I'm sure you work mm -hmm. long hours. Long hours. And you work many days a week. Uh, we work seven days a week. Twelve hours a day, she told me she gets there at three in the morning and leaves at three in the afternoon. Seven days a week, she struggles. I'm asking my husband provision. If I cannot have a two, like three hours or four hours for dancing, I will quit this job too. But he okay. He said, okay, you can go. Talking to Shelly gave me goosebumps, Brad. I mean, she described seeing the shooter come in with a long gun. I thought it's the, when I hear the boom, 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 it's a, you know, the Chinese like to, you put the fireworks. Firework. Initially, she didn't realize that the partner she was dancing with, with whom she danced for 15 years, had been shot in the back. In a hurry, I pulled his hand, go inside, go hide on the table together, please. Yeah. And he and me under the table, we like right together. You understand? He was in your arms. Yeah, together like this. Yeah. And then. And when she came up, she saw blood on her hands, and she didn't know what was happening. And she said she saw the shooter reload his gun and do a second volley of gunfire. And she just describes the panic in the room as people are screaming and running out the door, and 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 the sorrow and disbelief as she realizes that her partner is gone. I, I wake up my partner. Wake up, wake up. Andy, wake up, wake up. He don't respond at all. So I'm outside the front door of the ballroom in Monterey Park. But not far from here in Alhambra, there was a second incident. And the gunman left here and within minutes went there. He, he, he was looking past me into the, that ballroom. And then it seemed like he was looking for people, people to harm, I think. There's a 26-year-old man by the name of Brandon Say, and he is a bona fide hero. And he basically took on this gunman. He said he was six feet away from him as he confronted him. Shooter starts prepping his weapon, and 
something came over me. He grabbed the gun with both hands and wrestled with him. And he said he got hit in the face. He got hit in the back of the head. He woke up the next morning with bruises all over his body that he didn't even realize he had. At that time, the first thought was, I, I was going to die. This, this, this was it. But he said, I had to stop him because more people were going to die. I mean, with all that in mind and these heartbreaking stories, do we know why this man would have shot them? Because, like, police have not taken off the table that this was a targeted incident that, you know, some sometimes people attack people they know. But it seems so rare that someone would open fire on a room full of people, then drive to another room to do it again. Like, that does not seem like a targeted killing. Absolutely. There are so many questions and investigators are scratching their heads. These are your ordinary, everyday people who were there to live life fully. But I did talk to Congresswoman Judy Chu, who was the former mayor here of Monterey Park. And she is, as you can imagine, invested tightly in the community. She's been in close contact with local law enforcement and with the FBI. This shooting brings up uh, questions about all our laws pertaining to gun safety. And she is the one who said that the investigators are asking serious questions about domestic violence and mental health issues. Um, All sorts of questions are still open, but this is clearly a town, regardless of what the motive of this shooting is, that is mourning and reeling from this attack. So much heartbreak evident in those interviews. And we should say, developing this morning, there's been another series of mass shootings in Northern California, this time near San Francisco, a town called Half Moon Bay. And it's kind of similar to this. Two different locations with one suspect between them. This time, the suspect was actually able to be apprehended by police. He's in custody. We know that they took place on two different farms there. A lot still to learn. But regardless, this would be the second widespread mass shooting in California in just three days. We'll be monitoring that throughout the day. Juju Chang in L.A. Thanks a lot. You're more than welcome. Next up on Start here, two weeks between doses, three weeks between doses. You might be able to throw all that out the window. The new COVID vaccination plan after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy... 
You should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. Leading into Thanksgiving, the U.S. was averaging close to 300 deaths a day from COVID-19. It's incredibly important as we head into the holidays for people to update their immunity. That's more than the capacity on most international jetliners. If we had a flight full of passengers crashing every day, we'd probably say we have an airline problem in this country. Well, since Thanksgiving, the number of deaths per day nearly doubled. It peaked close to 600 a day earlier this month. It's since gone down a little bit. But what continues to hold true is that unvaccinated people are much, much more likely to be among those deaths. And yet the number of Americans getting those crucial booster shots has completely leveled off. At this point, the CDC says 16 percent of Americans over the age of five have gotten the booster that's recommended to them. Well, yesterday, the FDA uploaded several documents in anticipation of a meeting later this week in which they'll discuss a proposal that would overhaul their approach to how and when you get a COVID vaccine. Let's go to Sony Salzman with ABC's medical unit. Sony, what is the change that's being considered here? Yeah, so Brad, I mean, right now, people who are vaccinated probably got their initial primary two-dose series and then have received maybe one or two booster shots, right? So what is being proposed here is that we kind of move away from that model and instead Moving forward, we actually map the COVID-19 vaccination recommendations kind of similar to what we see with annual flu shots. So in theory, what that would look like is that you kind of pick the strain that you think is going to be the one that's going to dominate in the spring, let's say in May, and then you make that prediction. It gives pharmaceutical companies a few months to ramp up in anticipation of a September, October rollout to maximize people's protection during winter cold and flu season. Like thinking that November and December are are from now on kind of going to be the scariest months. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's still a lot of questions. We can get into those. And I just want to say this is still a kind of active discussion, sometimes debate in the scientific community. The FDA is asking its advisors to come together on Thursday and, and actually discuss these really thorny questions of how do we proceed as a society from here? How do we move forward? What's the best approach that's going to maximize benefit for the most amount of people? Because up to this point, like the thinking had been you need to get this series of shots to get your immune system going to to fight off COVID. We were told it's so important to get this series in the right order with the right recipe. You had the special CDC card to show it's been the right amount of time. Does all that go out the window? Because you'd think that, you know, this one shot would be less effective. But maybe is it does it end up being more effective, frankly, just because no one's even getting the shots they're supposed to get. Just make it simpler on them. Yeah, I think convenience is key here. Simplifying it would really be a boon to public health, right? Because you want people to feel encouraged. You don't want that vaccine fatigue. But the other piece here is that there are many studies, and we just know from our own lives, that most people have been vaccinated 
or if they decline the vaccine, have had COVID. And so most people walking around today have some level of underlying community, which kind of changes the conversation from what we were talking about in the early days um, to, to suggest that kind of a top up would suffice and, and really like either a- you got the first two doses and you need a booster or you got COVID at some point in your life and now you need a booster because that's essentially like your, your first dose. Yeah. And again, this is one of those unanswered questions, right? So it's unclear if the advisors would recommend and the FDA would implement a policy where you've never been vaccinated and moving forward, you get one shot. Would they still want you to get that initial two shots like most of us had who have been vaccinated, right? So, you know, there are a lot of unanswered scientific questions. One of them that's top of mind is how do you even pick a strain for COVID-19? I mean, the virus really evolves quickly. We have, for example, decades of experience with influenza, with the flu, and sometimes we don't pick the strain quite right, you know, each year. So that's one big scientific question. Another big scientific question has to do with the elderly, people with immune compromise, um, maybe some children who are still unvaccinated. What do you do? What is the appropriate pacing of uh, and frequency of booster shots for those people who have special considerations. And last question, Sony, what happens to my little CDC card? Like, do I need that anymore? Or is that go, does that go in the trash? Now? I, I would not throw it away, Brad. <laughs> I would not throw it away. But I, I think that... I don't need one for the flu shot, I'm saying. Yeah, you don't need one for the flu shot. And I think that as we move towards this, you know, world where hopefully... Um, it, the COVID pandemic is not so devastating. We don't have so many of those hundreds of deaths, as you alluded to. We, we might be able to get to a place where proving that you had your shot this year is necessary in a lot of settings, although maybe not. So I think a little too soon to throw away that card, uh, but <laughs> the future hopefully will be a little more simplified. All right, Sony Salzman. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Brad. So something about me, I really like the TV show The Wire, like the old HBO drama. I'm re-watching it right now. And a recurring theme from scriptwriters is how reluctant authorities often are to investigate their own. Like, if you want to open up that can of worms, it's because you think there could be something really bad there. Well, yesterday, in a development that would have been too over-the-top in most crime shows, a very real former FBI official was arrested for allegedly helping a notorious Russian oligarch. And this was not some grunt employee but one of the highest-ranked federal law enforcement officials to ever be charged with a crime. ABC senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky was on hand as this American was charged in court yesterday. Aaron, who is this guy? Brad, this is Charles McGonigal. He used to work at the FBI as the head of counterintelligence for the FBI's New York field office. This is somebody who opened intelligence cases on Russian oligarchs. So federal prosecutors said he should have known better than to take a sanctioned oligarch's money. But that's exactly what federal prosecutors said McGonagall did after he retired from the Bureau. He was on the take from Oleg Deripaska. This is a sanctioned Russian billionaire, an aluminum magnate, someone whose properties in New York and Washington have been searched by the FBI, and he was sanctioned for enabling Vladimir Putin's notorious activities in Crimea well before the invasion of Ukraine. So he's been on the U.S. sanction list for a while. And according to this indictment, uh, Deripaska wanted off the sanctions list, and he enlisted, allegedly, McGonagall's help to try and do it. And why would, if this is true, why would McGonagall be trying to 
keep a guy off the sanctions? Was it just all about money getting paid off? Seems like it was about money, and, and he seems to have taken it in a bunch of different ways. He's accused of conspiring not only to violate U.S. sanctions, but also money laundering. Uh, some of this money, according to court records, uh, was through surreptitious companies. It wasn't a, a direct cash payment or anything. He served in the United States for decades. His attorney told us that you know he's got a long-serving career in the United States, and he has pleaded not guilty, intending to fight these charges at the outset. But just to, to, to think of the magnitude of the case, Brad, one of the most senior counterintelligence officials in the FBI accused of being on the take what? from a Russian billionaire. It, it's not a great look for the Bureau. Yeah, yeah. Like, can you just describe the reverberations kind of up and down the food chain at the FBI? I get that this was a, a former official, but still. Well, a former official in this case, he's also charged in a separate case that was also unsealed on Monday in Washington, D.C., with taking a foreign agent's money, 225000 of it, while he was working wow. at the FBI. This isn't a Russian. This is an Albanian. And in exchange, according to the charges in that case, he opened an investigation, a criminal investigation of a U.S. citizen. So this seems to be about money. Uh, and I was talking with one retired FBI agent who was joking, this is why he retired, so he could make money. You're not supposed to do it while you're still working at the Bureau. We don't think that there's any wider threat. It's not pointed to in the court documents and prosecutors haven't spoken about it. Uh, and, and this seems on its face anyway to be an isolated case. And thank goodness, because we entrust FBI agents with national security secrets, with trying to to get people like this uh, off the streets and, and, and from interfering in U.S. intelligence work. So hopefully, Brad, it doesn't signal a, a wider trend, but it does give you an indication of how serious the FBI is taking this case, that they are willing to effectively bring down one of their own. Yeah, exactly. And cause sort of this PR nightmare of saying, yeah, we hope it's just this one guy. All right. Aaron Katursky, thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, the controversy that will melt in your mouth, not in your hands. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. Wow! Some of the most iconic commercials in recent decades. Oh, look who we have here. Just your friendly neighborhood M&M's. Sit down. Walking, talking, animated M&M's. The little red guy, the big yellow one. Oh, then I'm really glad you came by. Why is that? Because I'm all out. Which one of you is peanut? After they debuted years ago, we got a green one and a brown one and a blue one. The whole gang was here. But yesterday, M&M's put out an announcement saying they're placing their spokes candies on sabbatical. If you hadn't been following the M&M drama of the last year, you would have no idea what this announcement was saying. It said yesterday, America, let's talk. In the last year, we've made some changes to our beloved spokes candies. We weren't sure anyone would even notice, and we definitely didn't think it would break the internet, but now we get it. Even a candy's shoes can be polarizing. So... 
Let's back up. About a year ago, advertisers changed the appearance of one of their female candy characters, the green M&M. Baby, you are looking sweet. Remember her? She was the sassy one who was constantly wearing a smirk along with her go-go boots with heels on them right below her Caucasian legs. To which some critics said, why do we got to make her white? Go buy a bag. But even more significantly, why do we have to make her sexy? Like we're even doing this with candy? Were there women who identified with the green M&M? I'm genuinely asking, genuinely. Because as a guy, I know I've never looked at any of those M&Ms and been like, yeah, that's me, bro. I feel seen. So Mars Wrigley, which owns the brand, made a bunch of changes. They go with a more neutral skin color for all the characters, they swap out Green's go-go boots for sneakers, and they introduce a new M&M for the first time in a decade. This one is purple, it's female, and it's the first girl M&M to have a more pear-shaped body. Well, in conservative circles, this quickly became a scandal. The green M&M, you will notice, is no longer wearing sexy boots. Now she's wearing sensible sneakers. To some, this was seen as another corporation caving to liberal virtue signaling. If some were concerned that the candy was too sexy, you now had grown men saying the candy wasn't sexy enough. M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you're totally turned off, They've won. Which brings us back to this announcement yesterday and the admission that, quote, even a candy's shoes can be polarizing. Mars Wrigley now says it'll ditch the concept altogether in favor of the relatively non-controversial spokeshuman Maya Rudolph. And it speaks to a bittersweet trend. Companies that suddenly find their products becoming political wedge issues. If you're the NFL as players are taking knees, or if you're Pepsi as Kendall Jenner is cheersing police officers, the worst thing from a business perspective is to become a partisan political symbol. You could lose half your customer base. Let's not forget the Super Bowl is two weeks away. This could be a PR move. But whether you knew it or not, the outrage over M&Ms has been real. And in this economy, spokes candy layoffs became irresistible. I can easily see why you'd think either side is going too far here. Because on one hand, if you think it's not okay to desexualize candy, like what's wrong with you? On the other hand, for people who don't like high-heeled candy, like please remember, there were not frumpy candies out of work over this. Like there was no casting call. They are fake candies. I think the test should be if you found out your kid was dating an M&M and you were upset over which one they were dating, that means you're officially too invested in all this. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to hit that follow button for a fresh episode every morning. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.